Hello, Chini Amarji listeners. This is Mark Karaki. Uh, this week, we had a slight mishap on uh, our recording uh, towards the end of uh, the podcast. Uh, my phone, which is where I record the podcast, ran out of storage space and it stopped recording. So at around minute 54, we had to switch the sound to the sound that was uh, recorded on the video side, which I was using my other phone to record. So you'll notice a drop in sound quality at minute 54. So uh, bear with us uh, in this particular instance, a small technical glitch. But this is what happens when you are building uh, a startup. Uh, so this is a great episode this week with Mary Mwangi. It is full of insights, full of uh, uh, full of laughs, and just uh, high energy. So enjoy the podcast. First of all, you're looking fabulous. Thank you. I was going to say, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you, you talk, you're not even here for the podcast. You, you, you're just here for the, for the photo, for the picture. That's what I said. But I didn't even have time to do anything this morning. I had to be up and about very early. Oh, right. I was like, oh, what am I even wearing? I was like, I told Mark, I was going to sleep. I was like, forget it. It'll be another day. But <laughs> so if you're not slaying, I, I don't know how uh, people people have no hope then when you, when you show up. Eh? <laughs> when I show up, I show up, yeah. <laughs> you know, I could have gone an extra mile, and, uh, but it was like, okay, simple goal. Let's go. Okay, let's start. Yeah, good to have you. We already started, by the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Well, uh, thank you. Yeah, so the Chini Maji podcast, Impact Africa Network, Mary Mwangi Data Integrated. It's been a long time coming. Uh, you and I connected first, like you said, maybe, I think maybe a year and a half ago. <coughs> Before you moved here. Before I moved here. When you were doing your exploratory findings, if you were going to make it a place to be in Nairobi for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're uh, trying to explore it. Yeah, I was doing my groundwork, my market research uh, to see if I could actually uh, survive the <laughs> Silicon Savannah. Yeah, see what kind of guys are here. Check us out. Uh, but yeah, so um, from the first time I met you, you know, um, you are you're you're an an, an an enigma is how I would describe you. <laughs> um, the first thing that stands out about you is uh, just your positive, can do always smiling, um, positive energy that I see from you. And that's, when I think about Mary, that's what I think about. So I guess my first question is, where does that come from? Is that, is that, tell me about that. Is that even a real thing? How, how how do you do this? Especially being an entrepreneur, knowing how difficult and challenging it is. What keeps that smile on your face? I don't know. I guess I've been smiling a long time. I don't know any other way not to smile. I mean, sometimes, yeah, the smile goes, but um, when I have to be my tough self and it's not a very comfortable place for me. So I find the smiling place is more where I am more comfortable and it's more me. It comes very natural to me. So the other ones, I really have to think through on how am I going to come out? How am I going to sound? How is it going to impact somebody else? You know, when I have to try and be tough, I have a lot of considerations to take in. You know, but when I'm being myself, I just flow. Awesome. So you're you're mostly positive. You're like happy. You're not. Are you conflict avoidant? Or 
is that what I'm hearing from you? No, what I'm saying is uh, when there is conflict, it just requires a bit more energy to deal with. Yeah, I mean for everybody, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you think for you it's more than most people? How would you know? I don't know. <laughs> but um, maybe in some cases, but uh, in, in it's something I really have to work hard at. Right. I think uh, even since I was a child, I was one of the kids that, you know, if something happens to me one minute, the next minute I completely forget about it. Mm -hmm. And then I keep getting hurt so many times by, you know, different things. Then after a while, I'm like, okay, how do I learn to deal with this? Just to make sure I don't put myself in that situation anymore. So quickly trusting people and... Yeah, just... Yeah, and I guess just looking too much on the positive side and forgetting everything negative as soon as it happens. So I just have always been like that. So it's harder to forget and live like that because you need those lessons. Yeah, oh, yeah you need the lessons, but... Does that suggest that you develop a kind of like an overly vigilant mindset that puts you in this low-grade stress zone? I, you know, I mean, what's what's the alternative? How how when you say learn from those lessons, then 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 what? Like, how do you now show up in the world, or how do you imbibe that? It's just that whenever you see it somewhere, then you're able to recognize it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and not just go in like, oh, rose-colored glasses and be like... Yeah, hey, everybody's my friend, we live in La La Land, and it's a happy world. No, none of that, but, um, you know, in some cases you do need to be more serious, and life is a bit more serious, and right. so things need to be dealt with, right. and uh, you just need to recognize when that needs to happen. When that's the moment. Awesome. <laughs> great. So, great way to kind of get started, do some psycho... psycho Analysis conversation yeah. here. I know. Uh, and so, generally speaking, you know, the podcast is always really for the people to in the ecosystem to kind of know you, give your background, you know, how you, where you grew up, high school, whatever, just high level, and then also your journey to founding uh, your company, your entrepreneurial journey, because maybe data integrated is not your first um, company. And actually, what we should do is do an introduction. So I, sh my bad. So Mary Mwangi. Uh, Founder and CEO of Data Integrated, which is, how would you describe yourself? I've always struggled with this. Your company. Uh, you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, almost everybody I meet struggles with it. And in some cases, is because we also evolve quite a bit within the uh, organization from mm -hmm. what was our original plan. When we first started, we wanted to be a fintech, purely fintech company that goes there and digitizes payments uh, through automation of processes for SMEs. And so along the way, we have had to almost pivot to an extent where we've had to not just do the payment, but dig in a little bit deeper and look at um, the, what's below the payment for most businesses because what is it that they're selling where is their pain in fact this was brought up to me by one of the circles the transport company and they said Mary collecting of money is not even our biggest problem our biggest problem is the bookkeeping effect and how we are able to track that money up the post chain. Payment. Yeah, mm -hmm. not just post payment, but even <clears throat> as it's being collected. Mm -hmm. You know, how they are, so you find that even most businesses, even though you're getting paid, you're getting paid for assets that you're selling. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know, you're not just getting paid just to have money. And so going to think about just a payment system, you have to think about what is it that people are being paid for. Inventory. Yes, right, right. Like what's the asset? What is the value that people are paying for? And how is that protected? And you find that a lot of losses are coming in because of lack of controls on what people are paying for. Mm -hmm. So the resources that the businesses are selling or putting out to the customers don't have controls in place. They don't have systems in place and so there's a lot of leakages going there and you can put this applied across industries right. when you're looking at it. So some control mechanisms beyond just collecting a payment, right. how do I operate and run my business? Right, right. especially the payment part of it. What right. is it? How do you control your resources that you're being paid for? So right. even public transport that means your fares that you you know you're collecting or any other funds or payments that you're collecting. Yeah, and then if you're a retail or an inventory based system that's what you're looking at and then you're also looking at the processes you know the resources that you're using to sell that product so what what what, what are you what are you now <laughs> what are you guys so doing? basically now okay now we come back to the big confusion so, so to summarize just, it this, yeah to, summarize, to to summarize it really easily we are a payment platform that has a concentration in public transport currently that is what we're doing so we become a fintech logistics Company. Okay, we're going to dig into that a little bit because uh, I don't want to go down those, you know, the business kind of landscape part. We're going to dig into that a little bit because there have been some, uh, there have been some folks who've gone down this path before and didn't make it, namely, <clears throat> starts with a G. <laughs> Others are friends, that's it, bad things. <laughs> so Google did a run at this, right? Yes. With you know, KCB and all this and that didn't work out. So we'll unpack that a little bit further down the road and you can uh -huh. give your opinion on that. But let's start with you, right? Yeah. So tell us who Mary Mongi is, background, high school, school uh, career, entrepreneurial journey, those three things, and where you grew up, type of thing. Type okay. of thing so uh, if, what I can describe myself as is actually, um, I could say I'm an entrepreneur. I grew up in Nairobi. Mm. I was born and raised in Kasarani. So my business actually started in Kasarani. I went to day schools all my life you know, through primary and high school. So I used a lot of the public transport, especially in high school. You know, there was the that's when pop culture was actually starting to hit in the matatus, and you had to wait, you know, for the matatus to go two rounds so you can get to the latest with the hottest conductor. So which. <laughs> You know, you know that stuff. You grew up in the, that's a 90s time, right? Yeah, now you see my age, I don't say that. I'm dating you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't do that. But yeah, so looking at that, you know, and our families, we had, um, you know, family members owning public transport, owning matatus. And mm. so uh, to me, it's very natural to feel comfortable in, in that, that environment, you know, mm. in the mm. space. And so one of the things that um, you could say as an entrepreneur, when I first started, I was just trying to digitize payments for SMEs. Uh, looking at then M-Pesa, which was just a transfer solution that people are just using for money transfers. And I thought this would be a great resource if uh, for digitizing the local uh, small businesses, the local traders and all that. And so we set up to build a point of sale systems around... The Matatu? No, mm -hmm. just around small businesses. Okay. But then uh, when we were doing this, we realized that, you know, to really build something for retail, you needed a lot more resources. So we had just done the payment part of integrating and passing to the system and cash 
you know, and build a small dashboard and we're like, hi, we thought we had reached, you know, this we're is it. very this is excited. What you need. Right, right. This will change your life. <laughs> yeah, and then we saw an advert in the papers that said, hey, uh, you know, Nairobi is trying to digitize public transport and everything. And hey, we thought, hey, wait a minute. That this device of ours, we can actually go and pilot in public transport. So so before before we get into kind of like, and this is kind of the, what, what I guess, talk a little bit high level. I mean, because I, I knew I know you, you're a returnee. You're one of those returnees that people love to hate. <laughs> okay. So, so talk about your journey. Like, here's went to high school, then I went to I don't know. Kansas, okay. So what I did is actually I finished high school, mm. and I wanted to do computers. Mm. But at that time, there wasn't that many people doing programming, and it was just starting. But I knew I didn't want to go to a secretarial college or nursing and any of that. I wanted to just try something different, and the newest thing and hottest thing at that time was programming. So, and where does that come from? The one, the need to actually, or the desire to do something different? Is that always been part of your? I think I've always been some kind of rebel okay. in, in, in a way. I can see it. <laughs> you can see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think there was always that. Okay, not more rebel, but I was always adventurous. Okay. So I was always seeking new things, and you know, at that time there were two computer colleges in town. But I couldn't hack it after I finished high school because there was too much, you know, competition between that and trying to be hot and party and all that. So I went to India for a year. All right, okay. And in India, I did a bit of programming and then I came to Kenya for holidays and they said, oh, Mary, you can go to the U.S. At that time, the U.S. Embassy was just in town, went there one afternoon, got my visa. So the next week I was going to the U.S. and that's how I went. So um, when I went there, I, I, the school was a bit far. You needed to drive the weather and everything. And Which I just, state? I was in Kansas. Kansas. Kansas City. It's actually in Missouri, the state, but the city was Kansas. And so I decided actually after my little stunt in India that I better choose something more quiet and something that's going to tame me. And so I thought, let me get into accounting. And so I actually switched and did accounting. I'm not gonna dig into. I think <laughs> I'm not gonna dig into your India experience because <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, so after that, you know, I finished that. Started working in banking. I I got a job as a teller and started out as a teller. Worked mm. for about uh, eight years or so in banking, doing different roles <laughs> and uh, with three different banks. And so I got a good exposure in terms of any, payments. Any famous, any known banks? I mean, like, no, actually, I did one of the banks in Kansas. I started with a Credit Union, which is okay, basically a circle. Pretty much, yeah. It's it's a circle it's basically, a circle, yeah. and you know, the front office opened kind of circles. So I did that, and then I learned, you know, as I got my feet wet, and then I went in and did um, payments check clearing and payments and mm -hmm. then I went and did capital markets within the same bank and then after that I went to a small bank in Kansas in one of the small towns Jeez. Mm, and I did what an experience I know that's actually <laughs> that was a very good experience when I look back because it gives you the whole view of how the financial uh, industry works right. in terms of uh, functions because when you're in a small bank, you get to do all the banking. Uh, I was actually Practices assisting the CFO, all the accounting of it. Okay. So I was able to see like how banks work, you know, every part of it, how everything comes together. 
So I got quite a good understanding of that. I've worked for the city government, so I understand how counties and payments around that work. City government in the U.S.? In the U.S., okay. yes. And mm -hmm. then uh, different organizations in systems, um, changing the systems, entrepreneur, uh, enterprise systems into, you know, legacy systems into enterprise systems. So I completely understand <clears throat> where problems come for small businesses. And mm -hmm. then uh, going to Kansas, uh, in the middle of Kansas, in the small towns, I also watched how a lot of those small businesses had actually uh, not made it. A lot of them were going out of business, and I believe that if they had automated, they mm -hmm. might have survived. So this is interesting, because um, a lot of people who may have not been to a small town, small town USA, would always assume that, yeah, I mean, all the whole of the United States is kind of very automated, developed from a technological standpoint. So my corollary is uh, I was in the Bay Area tech universe, but I also went to school in West Virginia, in a small town, a University of Charleston, West Virginia, and I knew both worlds existed. The point I'm getting at here is uh, it's interesting that even in the States, you're saying businesses went out of business because they did not have automated, automated systems. systems and their processes. Yeah. Is it, is, wow, that's an interesting. So, so break, open, that, uh, open that up a little bit in terms of, okay, prove that in terms of maybe an example of, of, of where you saw that happening specifically. Okay, like, okay, my daughter used to go dancing in, uh, in Missouri. And so we would go to this small town, there's a dance class right next to it. There was a few shops and you found that after a while, those shops actually were gone. They, they didn't survive. There was an eatery that closed, there was a donut shop. There was all these other, um, there was like um, antique shop, mm -hmm. all those mm -hmm. shops. And after a while, the whole square that had those shops, they mm -hmm. all closed. Interesting. And then uh, in, when, we, when I was in Kansas, uh, one of the things that where the bank was, if you looked around, all those shops had also closed. Had Walmart At that time, in... that is when Walmart okay. and Target were really picking up. Right, got it. And so people <laughs> were going to Walmarts and Targets, and then that is where everybody now started shopping. Mm -hmm. You look at Kenya, we are looking at everybody is going to the Tuskies, everybody is going to the Carrefours, and uh, all these other game shops and all these other big shops that are coming in. If you look at the small businesses as we know them, they might not make it if they don't digitize. Look at uh, in town, when we first came, there was enough coffee shops around. Right now, every coffee shop is, most of the coffee shops are turning into Javas in town. Mm -hmm. You go to one side and everybody, that's where everybody's going. In the first, at the first place, nobody was believing you were going to be. The, this is the Americanization of the, of the consumer business landscape. Of Kenya. And it's going to happen. <clears throat> so it's let me ask you a question. Let, let me push back on this. Is this a question of digitization or just business strategy? Some business strategies just kick butt because I have an aggregated store that has much more traffic. It will just pull more feet into my Carrefour, right, than because people can get more stuff there, right? Um, is that a digitization problem? Or it's just kind of like a strategy problem, a business kind of... It's, it's both. Okay, it's tell, me, tell me how, how you think a small business can survive that onslaught by digitizing. Okay, how, you let me that? tell you one thing. When you look at small businesses, and especially in the retail sector, mm -hmm. people are just buying products and keeping them there. They don't have data to tell them what moves fast 
you know, they, most of them don't have a good uh, comparison on terms of what is a high margin, what is a low margin. They have a lot of dead stock that's probably not moving at all. And so, yes, so that business part information of it is, is lacking. Yeah, they don't have data to make better business decisions. So, but, but here's the thing. So that might help move the needle to some extent, but it will not necessarily bring feet into your store if, people, if more people are going to, say, a big store, Carrefour or Walmart for that matter, right? It might not, but if you're efficient enough, you also free yourself from being just in the store. Most of the people are staying in the store because uh, it's hard to have mm -hmm. someone who you trust mm -hmm. collecting the money. Right. So mostly you find the husband, the wife, the niece, the nephew. And, and you might also, and you, to that point, you might also be able to expand online, right? Yeah. And have. You don't have to have customers and coming into the store. stores. Right. Think about it. You don't have to be in that one store. I have an, a cousin of mine, and he runs a big warehouse store. He cannot take a day off from mm -hmm. his business, mm -hmm. him or his wife, mm -hmm. or when their kids are there, mm -hmm. because someone has to be in control of the cash register. How, how does automating... Uh, listen, I think we're kind of... So this is your back, back, background. You saw these kind of... Uh, had this broad experience from banking to government to, to small business operations and seeing to how... businesses too. Yeah, to seeing how Walmart comes into town and disseminate. now you're seeing the same corollary on the side. yeah. Um, so how did you... So none of this speaks entrepreneurship yet. There's no entrepreneurial no, angle yet. <laughs> okay, so what happens is uh, I was getting a lot of pressure because I've been in the U.S. for so long by my family to come back. Mm -hmm. My mom, you could call her an entrepreneur. She's run all kinds of businesses all through the years. And, you know... Uh, She's a I, classic queer businesswoman. Yes, she is, actually. She has always been. I, got, I, I grew got up myself. with that. I grew up with that. <laughs> so I grew up with the business. You know, we she tried uh, the butcheries, the meat shops, the bars, the markets, the, you know, all that stuff. Thing. Yeah, we tried that. <laughs> so I grew up with that. You know, we wake up, you go wash the shop, you go do this, you collect the money, you go do the accounting you know the counting of the money and you do all this stuff so I grew up doing that mm -hmm. that's what I knew mm -hmm. and so coming back I was like what do I come back and do and I figured I don't want to keep a retail shop I don't want to be in the shop trying to sell and I kept saying when I think of something to do that's when I'm gonna come back and one time I'm driving and I think hey wait a minute that MPESA thing why don't you just come and automate and digitize it for the small businesses. Mm -hmm. But uh, my idea of how we were going to do that, I thought we needed a cash register came from an accounting background, of course. So I'm all about keeping records and, you know, uh, accountability and everything and processes. So I wanted to make sure that that was built in. And that has taken a long time to do to get everything together. And then I actually created a business out of that. I thought I'd do this in two years and go back to the states, and you know, leave so you moved, stuff so, going. so you so you were driving where in the states? In the states. <clears throat> and then your epiphany, like I've got the killer idea. The killer I do. App. That's exactly how this, it happened, actually. Right. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I wanted to do, and I call my sister and I say, I think I know what I want to do. I said I'll come back to Kenya and live there when I know what I want to do. I want to come and digitize those small businesses, and I want to use M-Pesa for their payments. Boom, and like that. Said, yeah, it just so came out like that on the phone. You are clarity. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was you know, everybody has a plan until they hit, until they get punched in the face. <laughs> I think, that, I think Mike Tyson is going to say that. So go ahead. So now you pack your bags. 
So now I, I wanted to do a proof of concept, could we even print SMSs, how can the register work and everything. So I go to the local university, I enroll in a Kaufman class that they had on how to run a business, you wow. know, in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Kaufman is from Kansas City, so the right. University of Missouri had a, had classes on it. Uh-huh. So when they enrolled, mm-hmm. I think it was a six-week thing, and mm-hmm. then I, I recruited a student from UMKC, and in, in the computer electronics department, and we did a proof of concept so we could print SMSs from transactions because I wanted to make sure I could do that before I came. So let me ask you a question. This is interesting. So you recruited a student, mm-hmm. and this I think is your strength. I think this is one of your strengths. How did you recruit a student and say, what, what, what are we doing? I went to the you know engineering computer department of UMKC, and I said, I want a student who can help me prove this. Did you pay them? What was yeah, the we paid them. Okay. I paid them, but okay. you know it wasn't much. Mm. But you know it was, he was from India too, and so I explained to him what I wanted, and he did the proof of concept, and I was like, okay, we can go with this. Okay. And so uh, from the <laughs> class, I'd also learned that you needed to get a lawyer, a patent lawyer. So we patented the idea, did all the research, did all of that. I was like, okay, now I'm ready to come to Kenya. I got this. My sister said, oh, there's a lot of engineers in Kenya that can do this. I said, yeah, but we might need to make a way. Yeah, they're there, just come. So, <laughs> so, so did he, so let, let me, just to kind of maybe even date this a little bit, did he give you that proof of concept in a floppy disk, a CD-ROM, or was uh, it in the cloud? There were no floppy disks. No, no, okay. So you were, okay. There so were jump drives at least. Okay, jump drives. There were flash drives. So... <laughs> It was probably uh, just uh, yeah, yeah. So no, we did that. I got. So it was, he gave you the code in a jump drive. Yeah, we just wanted to prove first that we could do it. Okay, fair and enough. Then, and then we did that. So yeah, he gave me all that. He gave me all the files. Mm-hmm. I think I set them on my computer, and then I came back to Kenya. Okay. And then I had a friend who was at Kirdi then. You know, I said where Kirdi. Kirdi, what's that? Kenya Industrial something. <laughs> okay. Um, Kenya Industry and Research Development. Okay. Industry Research and Development. Yeah, something. It's a government uh, part that's supposed to help us with developments and stuff. So he gave me a room and said I could go there. So I went there and I started. I we put a few ads. I got to develop. We got one dev. We went around. He he applied. I he couldn't code though, but he was a very good buddy. He was the most uh, optimistic person you could ever have. So you needed. I needed that. He could code, but he was. He was good. So, so what we did is, you know, we fed off each other's high energy. So wait, so he applied for the engineering job. Yeah. But he could code. Yeah. So he said, Barry, I think we need someone else. <laughs> this is perfect. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we went and got someone else. And the guy we got, I mean, he was phenomenal. He was amazing, I think. He was super bright. Mm. And he was able, to, we were able to prove. But we were working on hardware. We were still trying to prove our concept on how this hardware thing will come together. So to what is this hardware things. thing? It's like a cash machine? What is it? A, a, a... It's a device that we wanted to print SMSs. Remember, SMSs at that time were just transferring. Okay. peer-to-peer so we wanted to put it in the cash register not just use your phone so we can have a back-end report of the sms transactions and then we could also print the receipt Got and it. give out to the clients whenever whatever they bought mm. so we couldn't find a device like that so this is basically extending impesa to printable and back office yes that's what we were doing Got it. this was in 2012 
You hire a couple of engineers. One is just a positive energy guy. Yeah, yeah. that's you. Everyone needs that. By everyone, the way. Yeah. Every entrepreneur needs one of those. <laughs> one of those guys. But you've not gone and done your market research to even figure out how they would use the product, which is which is okay. That's this is what you learn. So, I mean, no, we knew how they could use the product. Okay. But not, you know, we okay. Like I said, I was thinking of the very small businesses and everything. You know, the local ones, the local shops who didn't have a system at all. Right. So, so maybe that's not how they could use a product. You knew how they could use a product. You didn't know the market size, or yeah, or even the current landscape, right? Competitively or options wise. Talk, no, talk we didn't. Okay, I, I didn't do market good research. market research. That's what I'm getting. So to. now market yeah. research. We kind of know what people want, but they don't have a system. So we are thinking of your local, you know, your real local kiosk. Local, kiosk. Um, what are we talking about here? Kiosk. Yeah, yeah, the local shop. You know, the where you go buy one milk and bread. Yes, those types of things, but they are brick and mortar. Ah. They are to have be, to have been brick and mortar. So they're not they're not a kiosk then. They're the next level. The next level above okay. a kiosk. Okay. okay. Then we went to the mall. <laughs> And in the malls, you know, Tikaron Mall, TRM, I think. Yeah, yeah. That was my first mall to go into. No? Uh-huh. It wasn't bad. Anyway, they just built it and everything. And so we're walking around the shop. Remember in Kasarani? So I'm walking around the shop and we find these devices. And we're like, okay, wait a minute. These guys need a device that does more than one thing. Okay. You know? So this, the one with four devices, there's one shop. Four that- functions. Yeah, it had four devices. It had a cash register. It had an ETR machine. It had a phone that they were using for M-Pesa. It had a credit card machine on there. Wow. And, and you know, and then now you are going to add a fifth device to them. And what was the fifth device going to replace? Is, it was going to replace the phone, the phone that didn't have anything. Is, okay. Yeah. Okay, so at least you could replace yeah, the phone. Yeah, <laughs> you could replace the phone, but they weren't going to buy just that for the phone. We right. didn't think that was a good market push the, for yeah, us. The case. value proposition yeah, wasn't compelling It, it didn't. Yeah. So we thought, hey, wait a minute, let's add credit card to this thing. Okay. And all this other stuff. So Expand the, the value yeah. prop. Right, right, right. So I called a friend. I said, hey, I want to meet Visa because I have this device. So we take our, you know, rugged device funny device thing and prototype thing if you want to call it and we took it to visa and the lady we, you know we call this big meeting with visa and the visa guys come out and they say hey mary is your device pci and EMGs <laughs> compliant i was like what, what? are those <laughs> <laughs> i had no clue so, <laughs> so the lady said just go back and when you get the meeting this, is come over back. yes <laughs> So that was a quick lesson. <laughs> so we're like, okay, guys, how do you get this PCI thing done on this device? We googled it and we found that you know we needed a few hundred thousand dollars, which we didn't have. Then we're like, okay, now there goes our business plan. <laughs> so forget credit cards. <laughs> forget that stuff. And then we're like, okay. And then one of our friends said, you know what, guys? Why don't we just find something in China? 
Why don't we just find something in China and then we just ask them if they can customize? Because the biggest thing is we just wanted to print the SMS and the devices currently in market couldn't do that. And then we wanted to combine all these other things. And then we find something in China, we buy that has all the certifications and all that. So we That's PCI compliant and all that stuff. EMV and everything. So you can buy an off-the-shelf PCI compliant device? Is that what we're getting at? Yeah, you can. Okay. But now you have to add now all the other development. Because remember, we wanted a dashboard. We wanted it to be able to send information to the back office and then we wanted to do all these other integrations that we wanted to do mm. with you know the mpesas the airtel money and all of that we want to, to integrate everything in this one device mm. so we needed to be able to develop on it so we wanted a device that was kind of blank it has an sdk yeah. so we could now add to it so well we found one we worked with it and then just when we proved we could integrate mpesa and everything we saw the the uh advert in the papers about transport and we're like hey i think at this point we can go and test this wait wait wait, wait. so now <laughs> mary this is this is i want the audience to get this. so you are first of all looking at shops then you see an advert in the newspaper of transport <laughs> and you're like i'm gonna go after this no you know what okay we had developed up to the point but we didn't have an inventory we needed an inventory to take it to the shop what do you mean by inventory? It needed an inventory system where oh, now they're okay. able to see that. Oh. But we figured we can easily put a ticket in this device without having to worry about creating a full inventory <laughs> system. So now you, okay, so you had reached a point where you realized, God, we got to build this inventory system. The, the market was asking for more than what you had. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So how many conversations did you have to get to that conclusion? I mean, that, oh, shoot, we don't have the whole story. Just I mean, we we talked to a few shops. We went, you know, like at the malls. Mm -hmm. we, we did look at that. Mm -hmm. But also when I looked at my mom runs a bar and looking at it, I knew, she, you know, every morning I would go in and do the um, the bookkeeping mm -hmm. of what were the sales last night and mm -hmm. everything. And I was like, I just need to automate this stuff. Now, I knew that was required and I knew what it takes to do all that, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's a long process to build that system. Mm. And so at that point, it's like, okay, we need to pilot something just to see that we were on the right track. So this was, so now you see the, the, the transportation ad. What was the ad saying? Um, there was a meeting at um, KICC and this Matatu thing was going on. So I called my sister, I said, do you know anybody in the industry that can get us this? So she says, yeah, actually, we know someone who can introduce her to MOA. To so who? MOA, Matatu Owners Association. Okay. So we got introduced, <laughs> then they invite us, then we go there, and then I look at what they're trying to say. This is when Google and everybody now is coming, and they're talking about how they're going to launch this product, and they're trying to get the buy-in now from everybody. But there's no interoperability, so I said, <laughs> how is every... So I stood up, and I asked a question, and I said, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How uh, you want me to buy five different cards and then this that I will have to have money and then I have to decide which matter to go in if it has my stuff, you know, mm. uh, my card or anything. I so that so, so let's, this is interesting. So basically, there are many players in the space. Mm -hmm. Each one was offering a, a unique card. Mm -hmm. um, and there goes her phone. Uh, each, each one was offering a unique card. Yes. That was a play, yeah. right? And everybody was competing for the market, and they were not thinking about the customer, like you just said. Yeah. Like everybody, now I would have to have five if, cards to come on Matatu. Right. Then f ask them which card they use. I'm yeah, and then have money in each and every card just in case That's you get ridiculous. into that Matatu. You know, what the hell is it this? just didn't make sense. 
So I stood up and I asked, and because, you know, there was all those people over there, I think some of the people in the industry, you know, the owners and the drivers and all that were a bit intimidated by the whole setup. Ah, so nobody was who asking. Who was in the room? I, I don't know. It looked like a, quite a big setup. Room. I think yeah. they were intimidated. So when I asked the question and I was sitting in the audience, after that, now everybody wanted to come and talk to hey, me. Well done. So I guess it was a good way to market myself. And that's how <laughs> I actually started getting contacts. So from you started the building a relationship because you... Yeah. You basically asked the question that everybody yep. had in their mind, yes. but they were too scared to ask. I think so. Awesome. So now after I asked that, then I got a lot of contacts and everybody wanted to be our system and they wanted us to work with us. And then, um, so we decided we were going to try and build something that could read all these other people's cards on our device. Hmm. But now we didn't have the cards. So you're going to aggregate. Yeah. All the cards into our device. Remember, device. most of these people they hadn't done most of the development locally. They had just got POSs from somewhere, but we had done most of ours almost <coughs> from you know the SDK level, which is almost from scratch. Mm. So we were able, we were very flexible mm -hmm. in our development. An extensible way. Yeah. To, to, to so work we could do anyone. that, yeah, and we had awesome. the experience. We've been working on this for a while, so mm -hmm. we just didn't see the ad and start developing. We'd been mm -hmm. developing, then we saw right. the ad and we wanted to try something. You to so we were yeah. far more developed than anybody mm -hmm. else mm -hmm. in the market that had a payment system mm. for public transport. They were being opportunistic. You guys were kind of already trying to solve a problem. You and we had a backend, remember? Yeah. We had a backend. They didn't have. This is so emblematic of Kenya, man. Like, in this market, people don't go deep, right, into solving problems. They just chase opportunities as they show up. Right. take stuff off the shelf and say, hey, this is a nice new shiny object. You can use it. Right. So it worked out for you in the sense that you guys were... I mean, it could have worked out, but it didn't work out very well because uh, after that, then they brought in new requirements that we didn't meet. You need to have a bank letter, a central bank letter that later turned out to be not real. Um, so okay, now we're going deeper into the <laughs> that, Kenyans. Kenyan, the regular Kenyan story, you know. <laughs> uh, so, but afterwards, you know, the bus company said, actually, Mary, our problem is not cashless. It wasn't. The biggest problem was how they were operating. So they requested that we build them an operating system. What, what, what does that mean, operating? Which part? I mean, like The management, how the circles operate, how they okay. operate the business, how they manage the buses, how they pay each other, how they collect. Uh, so it wasn't, at the, it, was, it wasn't at the point of customer, it wasn't the customer point. It wasn't at the, the customer not, point was not even their biggest problem. That's not the problem. It the, wasn't their biggest. It mm. was a problem, but it wasn't their biggest yeah. problem. Right. If you asked most circles and most businesses, it was just how they were operating and the management of it. So, so here this is interesting because circles are a relatively recent phenomenon in the transportation game. Because when you and I were in high school, I don't remember circles. They were not there. It was brought by Mishuki, Mishuki Rules. Right. He said that, you know, buses have to organize and I think they're required to be at least 30 buses to form a circle. Interesting. And so now those circles now act like small MFIs microfinance institution they lend to each other they have savings they collect insurance so it's not even they about transportation management no these are investment vehicles got it public transport circles are investment vehicles all right so they now just two decide, different businesses right now they just decide to invest in public transport some of them even oh. have other arms where they buy land and they cut it up so these are actually, when you look at this public is, transport is, circles, you need to look at them as investment vehicles. That's, a, that's actually an insight. That's it. That's very interesting. Yeah. You, you really clearly are. know your market. So go on. So now where are we at now? Where, what's next? So they come to you. You're giving this all runaround about you have to have all these new requirements. You're chasing this thing, trying to kind of make it work. 
Yeah, and then we realized just the politics of it wasn't something I was prepared to do. And anyway, it wasn't our core business. <laughs> the trouble was too much. I was like, that's not even our core business. Let's get back to where we were. We started with the retail and everything. And, and this so is how we, many years into the thing? So this is 2012. Where are we now? What? No, this was this happened in 2014, 2015, by the okay. time this stuff is happening. Okay. So we, we, you know, the politics of cashless and the buses and everything, we said, okay, guys, Let's let these guys run with it. We don't need to be in it. Mm. Let's get back to our core business, which was building solutions for small, business. small businesses. Mm. Mm. And that's what we did. We went back to do that. And then the bus companies came back to us and said, no, Mary, actually, we liked your system. You guys just didn't get the letter from Central Bank. But can you please build for us this system? Because we think you can. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's when we looked and said, okay, we can so do this. So they pulled you back to the... To the yeah. So yeah. now we were pulled back to the public transport, <clears throat> which I wasn't even planning to be in. Mm -hmm. But they said this is a solution which worked for us because now at that time we were having issues getting bank partnerships to get our credit card part running. We were having trouble getting our ETR certificate from KRA so we could do ETR on our device. So it's like, okay, all we have to do is create payment receipts and a dashboard for them to collect money among each other so we can start selling this. So we were like, okay, so they're not hanging fruit. You didn't need all these other no, we didn't. infrastructure no, kind of certification no, thingies. No. And, and that, that's so, why, why, question, why is it, why do you think it was so hard to get those things? Uh, Kenyan issues, you know, uh, I think we've tried to work with at least four banks previously and each one fell apart almost at the last minute. Some of them we integrated, we were almost ready to start and they wouldn't. But what I think uh, with the banks, the issue was um, their infrastructure wasn't ready for outside integrators. So it was more technical than political, or in some cases more. What, what, what? I I think it was more technical. I would actually say, if you look at how banks are made and their infrastructure and how they build their systems, mm -hmm. they hadn't foreseen where they need a third-party integrators. Right. They had not created the APIs yeah. and right. all of that. So by bringing someone in who they don't know very well, they're exposing themselves and their whole banking system to an outsider. So you would really have to be known and have all this cloud, you know, and a lot of trust for you to get in. But at that point, I didn't realize that, mm. uh, you know, and you just have had to build this relationship. So let me ask you a question. So, okay, looking back, um, who were you talking to at the banks? Or were you talking, it sounds like you're talking to the technical people. No, I would talk to the business people mostly. Okay. First, you have to get the contracts sure. ready and yeah. done. And then they would tell you, okay, you can just start even with the technical as we clear this. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is there's no bank, the contract and everything that will clear and get to the end in less than, uh, at the minimum, 18 months. So let me ask you a question. Who, how, okay, what if you had gone to, what if you had a relationship with the, on the CEO? I did, in some of them. Oh, and it didn't still, still didn't work? No. Jesus. So how do you get anything done? 18 in months, banking? you might be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, some of it took us several years. You could know the MD, you could know anyone, but yes, the systems aren't ready. Oh, it was, okay. Yeah. You know what so I mean? Software and, but also, meaning, But also okay. the bureaucraticness of banks is quite intensive and nobody wants to take responsibility. Got it. I'm the one who brought this person in and did these hacks. We're having all these issues right now. Career People, risk and stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know if you know, but the Kenyan banking system has a lot of security issues right now. Hmm. Um, you know, and it just exposes just how vulnerable the banks are.
right. and uh, you can now kind of understand from a fraud kind of yes. penetration exactly. standpoint. Right. If mm. you open gates, who comes mm. in? Mm. Right. How do we track? Mm. They don't have systems it's so for that. Yeah, it's so, that's so true because if you look at just infosec space is massive, right? I mm -hmm. mean, there are so many players, and it is one of those things in technology that continuously grows because it's a whack-a-mole, right? You're trying to kind of hold this thing back, right? Or protect your, your assets. But, you know, the hackers are always constantly finding new ways in and okay. technology is evolving. So, you know, when I, because I've worked in information security mm -hmm. before uh, myself, um, and I kind of know the industry and I've also worked in privacy. And I always would think, oh, Jesus Christ, even the most sophisticated financial institutions, they spend a lot of money on this stuff, but even them, they are vulnerable in the States. I mean, you know, and I was thinking, now Kenya, where are we? Because I know, you know, like you're describing, people kind of are legacy in a sense. So I'm not surprised, I guess is my point about yeah. the, the, the vulnerability. Yeah, it's actually quite bad right now. And so when you're looking at it, getting into fintech in itself has a lot of barriers to entry. And then transport also has a lot of barriers to entry. Well, well, let me ask you this. Fintech seems to be, when you say has a lot of barriers to entry, unpack that a little bit because it seems to be a very hard industry. There's a, and fintech is broad, right? Yeah. So how do you think about it when you say barriers to entry? Okay, so what you're seeing a lot of growth in, in fintech right now, is the loans. You know, the immediate yeah. loans yeah. and you Low get this. Yeah. yeah, those those are not so difficult because right. you're sending money out and all that. But right. what we're talking about is the integration of payments, the core mm. banking system itself. Mm. And that's an issue because mm. everything in the bank, this is like their arteries, this is their heart, this is where everything it needs to be protected. So you know you know what this so this is interesting because uh, maybe this begs for 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 them to be disrupted, man, because they're not evolving fast enough. And I don't know, uh, why can't we have, and it's interesting because I just saw this on Twitter, uh, this startup that's just, uh, I guess, gone from stealth mode to, to public uh, uh, facing. They have built a bank to rival uh, for, for startups in the US. Mm -hmm. So if you're a startup, you can get an online account, you can, so they're solving this banking problem for startups specifically, mm -hmm. for, for small businesses. And they are rivaling a very established, obviously, industry, but a, a specific niche in that industry. There's a bank called Silicon Valley Bank mm -hmm. that basically is the bank for startups, right? And this thing called Mercury.co is going after that space, right? With a new offering as a startup. Question for you. Can you do a similar approach in Kenya? I don't know if you would go to the startup space, first of all, because I don't know if there's enough funding. No, what I'm saying but I is... think you can do that with uh, other um, industries. You can actually look like, just take for example, what we're trying to do with public transport, right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Basically, what we're giving them is almost like the startup banking you're talking about. We're giving them a platform where now they're able to manage the microfinance, the loans, and whatever else services that they're giving out. But this is a system. What I'm saying, what this what this startup is doing, they are becoming the bank, a digital bank with no branches. So they are replacing Silicon Valley Bank, which is a legacy. They don't have a bunch of branches, but they're digitizing everything. Can you go after the digi the, the digitization of the banking? Not being the soft, not the supply of the of the of the, of the platform. 
being the thing, being the bank. You can, and this is why you... I don't think they'll let you. Yes, you can. There's actually a license you need to get. It's the same one that Safaricom does, the MNO one. That's the closest you can get. In the back end, uh, unless you get a full banking license, you'll still need to deposit it, your money in a bank. But you can do the whole lump sum. The backstop would have to be some bank, some third party Not bank. the operations of it. Mm, but the... You can do that. Mm. You know, just like banks also have to deposit a certain reserve with the central bank and okay. all of that. So who would be your you backstop would, bank? You would have to, you'd have to identify which one is so easy you... to work with. Okay, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at here, and this is a good point you make, because uh, can you just be a, a, a bank but just go digital? You could from but you, this, from from scratch. You would have to apply. The resources are very high, yeah, and their yeah. qualifications Capital are requirements quite high. Are high. Yes, they're yeah. very high, and that would be very high also. Think of it like what does Mpesa do? Mpesa does a lot of banking itself. But in the back, it still requires a bank. It's either backed by KCB yeah. or CBA. Right, right. And, and so as itself as a bank, then it would need to get a banking license. But in a global world, I, I, I and maybe this is the realm of Bitcoin and blockchain thingies now we're getting into. Because we are basically uh, captives of the legacy financial infrastructure. There's no reason why things are the way they are. People just decided, here's how they're going to be. And now there's no reason why we actually have... Things are the way they are. Seriously. Because why do people go to banks? People go to banks because largely they are the ones that are there, right? There's no alternative. So in a sense... You but know, you'd still be a bank. So you'd you, just you'd still do be a bank. banking in a different way. In a diff it's an alternative because... It's, so what you just don't want is a brick and mortar bank? Well, I guess and what, the old legacy system that, all, that goes around the bank? And the, and the challenges they're bringing to entrepreneurs like yourself to actually partner with them, do... A bunch of stuff that you need. But that's they not, seem to be in the way. It's not the bank that's doing it. It's a requirement from the regulators, which is the central bank. But the bank also has the technical challenges where they can't integrate with you because all these things. They couldn't in the beginning, but now you're getting a lot of banks creating APIs. You know, look at uh, what did uh, Equity Bank do with FinServe. So you're happy They're with creating. So, so you're happy with the current infrastructure banking, which is which is. I'm I not. Think, I'm not saying I'm happy, yeah. but I'm just saying there is a lot of improvement. I think there's still a long way to, to go, go for okay. it. We're on the same page. But what I'm saying is also in the end, I don't think it should be so much the bank, but the system running behind it. But there's also there's also the system is one thing. Then there's the the just the way they do things, the legacy thinking. That is actually, I have friends who are working for the bank and they say because they've worked for the bank, they're seeing gaps and they know they want to get into entrepreneurship. And they to know solve those problems. They, yeah. So I've had actually people that I've interacted with through the years since I've been here, about mm. four of them have quit working for banking trying to resolve some of those issues. But I think sometimes we need bigger support than there is, uh, especially in the fintech space, other than lending, if you're coming into payments and solving some of those, you know... Structural, yeah. cultural, okay, here's operational... The thing. Let's just take a step back. Let's talk about... Why are we where we are for most of um, the banking system, the um, companies that we're trying to do in tech and all of that? And you find that most of them, what they're trying to actually resolve is an infrastructure setup. And that's what we're trying to do. If you look at public transport, what are we trying to do? We're trying to build the infrastructure that will run this system digitally. 
So to build that requires time, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experts, some of which we can do it on ourselves. We are looking out to partnering with some partners like in Microsoft, Google, and all these other bigger companies, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that know and have done this interstitch and all those other guys who come in and bring their expertise to us and they're saying, Mary, yeah, we can help you move to this next level. Yeah. But if you're looking for those kinds of experts in this region, they're just now arriving. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We didn't have them locally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, um, so it's not just funding that's a problem, it's also the expertise. Skills, expertise. Skills to sometimes industry-specific that actually realize that um, what you guys need to build is probably even something that hasn't been built exactly. out there because you need it to build existed. The right. It existed before. Right. So you guys are starting from scratch and right. now building that so that all these other fintechs and all these other companies can come right. and be able to bring now their apps and everything on top of that. On top of that. Mm -hmm. Now that is so it's platform development, infrastructure, yes. ecosystem, completing right. that whole circle because now you're building a, a product that's almost like an island unto itself. Mm, yes. And it can't work in the existing environment. There's just nothing to hold it down there. Yeah. Wow, that's that's good stuff. Listen, I mean, you and I can talk for forever. I know. And I have some other questions that I wanted to ask you um, as we kind of work towards wrapping up over here. Um, so challenges of being, I think we've kind of gone through some of these, challenges of being an, an, an African founder. Uh, maybe we haven't talked about that, but African founder and a female founder. I mean, maybe take one at a time. Being an African founder, um, the challenges I would say is um, in the beginning, there were challenges being an African founder. I think for right now, it's just trying to fundraise, the, you know, the usual story, money is going elsewhere and all that, but also I don't want to blame it on me being an African founder. I also think I wasn't ready yet for you know the systems and everything that's been required we didn't put that in from the beginning so there's two sides to it you're yeah. saying there's there's the fact that you're an african founder which is a thing right yes. yeah but there's also the fact that you're not ready to actually absorb capital yeah and and that is true not to the level that you want and sometimes we will take that and being an african founder you take that, but you understand the African problem and you're taking funds from people who don't understand the problem from an mm -hmm. African side. Mm -hmm. So it kind of takes away your, your uh, control of the product you want to build because people are going to move it to something they're more familiar with. Did that happen to you? I haven't taken any funding yet, so okay. it hasn't yet. <laughs> but so how, but how? it is a danger. It's a real danger. So when I say sometimes you're not ready yet, you really have to define your product to where someone from outside who is giving you funds will actually understand your product. Mm -hmm. We started with this conversation saying, Mary, I don't understand what you do anyway. It's mm -hmm. a big problem. Mm -hmm. You need to explain no, the, the it. The reason why I don't understand what you do is because you do too many things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. But as this stuff comes together, it's probably too early for people to come in and understand exactly what we do. And so if you're not in the industry, you're not working with this every day, you, you're not seeing it. You will tell me, Mary, just concentrate on this, but that can't survive on its own without these other parts. Mm -hmm. And so if I take money early, I'll be forced to just concentrate Focus. on and, that. And you have, you have been, because I remember that's the first thing you know, when I thought about when I met you, I was like, wow. And even, you know, you met Kane, who is a good friend. Um, and we were just like, wow, Mary, like you are 
you are doing a lot of stuff at the same time. In your mind, you knew the story. You could see, you could connect the dots in your mind, yes. right? Which is the most important thing because you're yes. the entrepreneur, right? And yeah, so and now it's coming together, and people are like, "Wow, yeah, this is what we've been looking for." I was talking to other people in the industry, people that want to partner. And they're like, "Yeah, Mary, this is the type of solution we're looking but for." But to be fair, you've also evolved in terms of have you have you stopped doing some things that you were trying to do before? We finished them. Oh, she's like, we finished it. I love, I love Mary. She's awesome. Because of what we needed them to be. Okay. But you were going after the other thing. Oh, this is great. So people are not ready to... So I guess the message there is, you may not... You, the, you may... If you absorb capital too early, it could be problematic. And you probably can't even absorb capital anyway. So it's a chicken and egg scenario. Yeah. And people will want to give you money. Believe me, they will. And people are taking money, but they might uh, want you to uh, create something they know, but not something that's solving your problem. Well, you know what what is required. Not your problem. So, the problem you yeah, the problem you're trying to solve. Trying to you solve. know what is required. That if you have this money with no pressures from outside to show something that everybody understands, you will actually solve the problem. But here's the thing, on, on the other side too, right, it's like, how many of, uh, what's the level of um, just execution readiness are our, our local entrepreneurs? I know there's some brilliant ones, but, you know, execution readiness, that just discipline to execute and take capital. I think a lot of them would be if they have the resources early. The problem is when you have to keep bootstrapping and you don't know what and you have to please people. Um, you have to survive, basically. You have to survive, but you also have to, um, you know, create, keep creating and solving your, your people's problem. Mm -hmm. I had some lady I think I went for a drink with and they said they were trying to solve something around rabbits. Mm -hmm. Then they realized that you know rabbits in itself wasn't gonna do that, so they needed to bring in more, um, you know, more animals, more chickens, animals, to get them. more for seafood and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But you see, they evolved out of that. But they, you know, the problem was in the beginning. But then they come out to the market and they do that. But then by the time they are gonna get finding about something like that, you know, it is. <clears throat> it's someone's gonna say, yeah, I eat fish. So I can understand I don't need rabbits. So there's no market. But then it depends. You know, can both exist? You have to be one vertical. I don't know. To me, it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, so if you're taking money, what is your real vision? How far does it take you away with it? Are you still excited about it? People are very happy and excited about moving away from the rabbits to the seafoods and the delivery. Would you invest in that business? Which one? The one you're talking about? I think so. I think I believe the people that were actually, um, you know, moving to that and they convinced me that, you know, they knew what they were doing. It was something they were going to continue with it. I think I was reading something the other day that they said uh, when you're coming in as an entrepreneur, you're getting people coming in to build. Some people are building to exit, mm -hmm. other people are building for the long term. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, like they always say, you align yourself with who the investors are. Why are they there? Do they want something that moves quickly <coughs> mm -hmm. for their sake to exit? But, they yeah. want something yeah. that sustains and solves the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the end of the day, the investor is and investing usually to 
Get their money back. Right? Get their money back. Well, like but some people might get their money back without even exiting. Sure. Yeah. And you have to look at different structures for that. So, female founder. Any challenges being a female founder specifically? That you can point to? Or oh, you're too positive yeah. and see the downside. <laughs> I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I was a female founder, it yeah. probably would. If you were or you are. If you are yes, not. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, I never think of myself as a female founder. But <laughs> <laughs> That's your secret. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't think I ever see my. I've always been around women entrepreneurs, women businesses. So you never really thought about this. Maybe this isn't even a question that's relevant to you at all. It is to an extent of when I go to try to get those bank partnerships. Mm. I think if it was male, maybe mm. it might have moved faster. Mm. That's how I sometimes tend to think. Okay, let's move. Let's move on. So the other one is cultural, local cultural weaknesses as an ecosystem, as a as a people. In terms of in the context of, of business, what are some of the weaknesses that exist? We don't support each other enough. Say that again? We do not support each other enough. Talk, talk about it. Tell me about that. I Give me an like example. That. Just expand on that a little bit because it's so important. Um, what I look at is I will be out uh, into a place that I could easily use your service. Mm-hmm. Or help you build up yourself so I can use that service. Mm-hmm. But I will go out and shop for someone else because we won't even have that discussion. I was talking to someone the other day. I said, I feel like Kenya lost its Africanness. True. You know, you're your brother's keeper. Right. I right. feel like that is missing from and African I, culture. You know what? I, I, try and, I, I try and encapsulate this and understand it. I've been trying to kind of do this for a while, and I hope that's why I was asking this in the podcast. You know, it's, I call it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right? Mm-hmm. This is this character who had two personalities, schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. One is so pleasant and awesome, and the other one is a psychopath, right? Mm-hmm. And in the social setting, we are super nice to each other. You know, if there's a tragedy, we are there for each other. We love to be each other. Each other's people and there's a tragedy. On the social, yeah. But when it comes to the business thing? When you build each other up. We're not there. We're not there. What happens? The same person. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So, in fact, there's undermining going on. Jesus Christ, it's like an epidemic of craziness. Yes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, we need, this, is, this is a very important thing. Then the other thing, so, I guess strengths? I guess maybe uh, oh, cultural okay. strengths. Cultural strengths. I think um, we're very positive people. Optimistic. We're very optimistic. And um, we like... Uh, we are carefree. Uh, when I look at Kenyans, as much as the culture works against us, it also works for us. The lack of culture too much. We don't have too much baggage. Too many constraints culturally. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It is. It really is. So we are easy to flow. We are easy to move. We are easy that's to adapt. Yeah, yeah, but also the same thing also. There's lack of rootedness. Yes. But I don't know which one we'd rather be. Interesting. Okay. Um, lessons learned uh, in your entrepreneurial journey. What would you do different looking back? What are some of the things you would do different? I would not do... Public transport would not be my key thing. Okay. Okay. I would push other things. Okay. I think we would 
have moved faster mm -hmm. if we didn't do public transport. But then um, I feel that as much as it's a needed product, and as much as we understand it, it does have its constraints to a startup as mm -hmm. the first product you want to put out there. Got it. Perfect. So you would not do that now. To do my first thing. Other than now strategy, what are the lessons? Just general lessons, not specific industry lessons. Hiring. Talk about it. I'm not the best at hiring. Because <laughs> <laughs> you hire positive people who can code. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I, I'm a bit more emotional. And uh, I think we do a better job than <laughs> most of my staff who are a bit more who can easily to distance themselves from certain things. I think they are more objective mm -hmm. and um, whenever I involve them, it's always a better job. When I come into the management and admin staff, mostly I don't have my tech family there for me, so mostly I was the one doing it. I don't think, I think I made a few mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, in sales too, I think I haven't been very good at it. So I know I suck at hiring. <laughs> but listen, at least you know your Some your, people, yeah. yeah. But not just, that being said, we have wonderful people that we hire. Yeah, I just love my team. Mm -hmm. It's my other family. How, how big is your organization right now? How many people? Uh, we are about 32 now. We have a lot of interns too. And we are, I hope uh, you pay your interns. Yes, we do. Yeah, we cost. actually pay. I saw that. Saw that I, wanted, I wanted to jump in and say we always hire our interns. We make sure they have enough. In fact, most of our interns that we hire that had dropped out of school since we started paying them have been able to pay back their way back to school. That's awesome. We actually make have lunch for our interns and we pay them. We do breakfast and lunch for everyone in their office. Well done. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. That's great. Um, vision 2030. What's your vision 2030 for, for Silicon Savannah? Where do you see this thing being in 2030? I want us to build a great ecosystem. And I think we're doing it. I think if you look, they have some more. We have a lot of hubs coming up. But what's the end result? What's the great ecosystem means what specifically? The great ecosystem means talent, it means experience, it means better products. It means more automations for the local businesses. It also means I believe in ourselves that we can do this. And it also, um, you know, gives us a bit of bragging rights. Awesome. So, for, yeah, I mean, I think if I was to pull that all together, that should manifest in wealth. <laughs> We're building. <laughs> okay, that's, let me tell you, I was in Lagos mm -hmm. with the. Um, Google Launchpad. Oh, you had the Launchpad? Yeah. I was at the Launchpad. Uh -huh. And it was lovely, and I love Lagos. And most people say they didn't because of the heat, but I, I, I like the heat and the sunshine makes me happy. So um, I was there and I was looking at the structures that they built. And you can feel the heartbeat of Lagos. You can feel they're moving. And it can be moving, but not at the not same, at the same speed. speed. Speed, yeah. not at the same speed. Yeah. But to me, it was so lovely to be in an African city and see just how much it has changed, even in the last two years, mm -hmm. you know, three years. Yeah. And I am looking at Kenya and knowing that we will be transforming ourselves 
into that, we can cut out the whole corruption stories and yeah. the sad stories. But yeah. I yeah. believe uh, in Africa, we can get most cities out there, you know, a few hundreds of them. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I mean, building great companies, you know. Um, building. Owning. Yes. You, you, you can, yeah, actually, that's true, because you can build Owning. it at home. You can build it at home. Hello. Yes. Julia went public. This that's is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, African companies need to be owned, owned by, by Africans. Yes, talk about and it. And that is exactly what we're saying. We're empowering businesses so they own. Yes, and this is, this is why, this is central to why I moved back from the States. And a lot of times people misunderstand, have, can misunderstand why I've heard people say, why would you move back from the States, Silicon Valley, and so on and so forth. You know what? Uh, for me, I had, a, I had a great career. I mean, I could have written that thing to the sunset, but you get to a point in your life where you're like, dude, I want something bigger, something more meaningful. And to be fair, as a black person, you have a ceiling on your career in Silicon Valley. One or two people can, can be lucky, right? But that's not systemic. How many VCs do you know in Silicon Valley? How many people who've exited in companies do you know who are black in Silicon Valley? Pretty much none, for the most part. Um, I moved back because of this thing, because I knew we had the talent, we had the market, we had the opportunity, and I could see that we were losing the digital scramble for Africa. That's a problem. Massive. People are not seeing that. I saw a lot of people are not, no, yeah. You and I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've Sorry. been out there, we understand. But locally, not it. and globally, there's an urgency to it. But most Serious. of us want to invest in land and houses. And, and we don't want to help each other. We, just, we see it as a, as a competitive thing. So it's, there's multiple things. It's a house. It's a building. And you ask any Kenyan investor, they will run to put their money there. But even, even be, be, okay, so that's true. And, and, and I believe there's also capital that's looking to come in. But the other thing you said, we don't work together. No, we don't. Especially we don't work together. West Africans are doing more okay. than We don't work together. This is so sad. Okay. Um, so Vision 2030, we're going to build companies that we own that are big and awesome. That's where we're going. We have the talent. We have what it takes. And our talent will be out there. Awesome. Um, final kind of parting shots to tips and final words to any young entrepreneur who or otherwise or old or whatever. What are some of the advice you would give to somebody who's listening to this who's an entrepreneur in the trenches, you know, trying to make it happen? Okay, what I would say is um, create a product that solves a problem that you really believe in. Awesome. You know, do something that you really believe in. When I wake up in the morning, no matter how great, no matter how broke I am, no matter how bad things are going, I still have this hope in what I'm trying to do, in what we are trying to do. Which is what specifically for you? Which is to digitize and empower small businesses. You know what, Mary? With that, we'll stop because that's the first thing you said. That's why you came back and you're still doing that. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the Junior Magic Podcast. That was a great one. Thank you.